Amen. So in case anyone was wondering, um, the Gospel of Matthew is our new Bible study. So um, that'll be, well, at least 28 weeks, although some of those chapters are a bit long, so it might go into a bit more than that. But um, we're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and well, well done there, Brother Jamie, because that's a bit of a tough uh, genealogy at the beginning. And I had a couple of guys uh, where he was running late in traffic, I had a couple of guys lined up and they really thought I really didn't like them because I was uh, getting them ready to read read out that without any preparation either and that can be a bit tough some of those names especially where it's a Greek version of them as well isn't it so it's not what you're used to either but um yeah um so we're going to be going through the Gospel of Matthew and um it's obviously the first book in the New Testament um it's actually just a bit of a fun fact for you it's the second largest book in the New Testament by verse amount um the first is actually the 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 uh, Gospel of Luke um, and it was written by Matthew the publican although some modern scholars think, seem to think they know better nowadays um, but I, I have no doubt it was written by Matthew the publican and it was likely written somewhere between 50 AD and I would say 70 AD although some say longer but I would say considering um, the destruction of Jerusalem and there's no sort of additional after that I would say somewhere between there um, and, and it's sort of general theme as people you know would widely say is Jesus the king you know it's that's kind of a theme of the Gospel of Matthew but there's many other themes in there that we're going to see as we go through it um, so let's get started with uh, verse number one um, which reads a book of the generation of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham and before we get going properly let's let's let me just go to the Lord in a word of prayer as well um, father I thank you for this great chapter of the Bible this great book of the Bible I, I pray that you help me with over these coming weeks especially just to just to preach it accurately and preach it clearly um, to, to to expound it as you'd want me to and, and starting today with this first chapter and um, obviously this genealogy and the, and the following verse as well just to help me to just give a good account of it and to uh, preach all these things being filled with your spirit um, help people to have attentive ears here and help those who aren't here just to get here um, to be able to hear what your word has to say to them in Jesus name we pray all of this amen okay so it's introduced as a book of the generation which is the time period the days when he was walking the earth of Jesus Christ so the son of David what, what does that mean what's the son of David well turn to Jeremiah 23 as there are many prophecies in the Old Testament of Jesus Christ, particularly him being of the seed of David. The son of doesn't mean his direct child, obviously, uh, but rather one of his descendants. Like you could be a grandson or a great grandson, they're all sons of. Uh, Jeremiah 23, and from verse 5 we're going to look at in a second, is talking of a time in the future, long after the downfall in his days of Jerusalem. And it says here, um, from verse 5 behold the days come saith the Lord that I will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth in his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness and unto David a righteous branch is obviously talking of a descendant Jesus Christ is that king um, and is constantly referred to as the son of David by the believers. Um, you know, if you turn to Matthew 9.27, is one of many examples when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. Okay, so, the, and that's something you see time and time again in the Gospels, in being referred to as the son of David. Being the son of David makes him, obviously, the son of Abraham too, yeah? David was of the tribe of Judah, who was one of the twelve sons of Jacob, Abraham's grandson, yeah? Um, and Jesus fulfills again the promise to Abraham in Genesis 22:18, which reads, "And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." And and obviously that that's talking about Jesus Christ there, and, and we see that explained clearly in the book of Galatians. So. Continuing on from there, we see the supposed line to Christ where, where it says, and again I say suppose, where it says Abraham begat Isaac and Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. So obviously you're back in sorry, Matthew chapter 1 here. Judas being the Greek version of Judah, in case you're wondering. Okay, So we're seeing here now the Greek versions of these names. And Judas begat Phares and Zara of Tamar and Phares begat Ezram and Ezram begat Aram. So Phares and Zara were twins born by Tamar, who was Judah's late son's widow. Now this is, I don't know if you know much about this story, but, but it's like something off the Jerry Springer show. What, 
Who's, what's that English version? I was trying to think of this. What's that guy? Was it Jeremy, Je Jeremy Kyle? Wow. <laughs> what terrible viewing. But if you're ever at home in the daytime or you were in the old days, I mean, a lot of people end up watching the Jeremy Kyle show and that was car wreck TV, wasn't it? And it was basically like the British version of the Jerry Springer show. And when you look at, I mean, the situation with, with Judah and this story, and we're not going to go there just, just for sake of time, and I'm sure a lot of people do know this story. I think it's Genesis 37, 38, something like that, if you're interested. But basically, um, you know, Ju okay, this is, this is a quick summary of it. So Judas, one of his Judas sons is completely wicked. I think he's Ur the first one. So he gets slain. Then you've got uh, his next son, Odin's told to raise seed to his brother. He refuses. He gets slain as well. And then he says, OK, well, the youngest son, when he's old enough, he's going to, you know, take on this, this, um, this Tamar. Well, what happens is, is he then just doesn't fulfill that promise. Tamar thinks, right, what am I going to do? I know. I'll dress up as a harlot. Yeah, and, and basically con Judah into, into you know, into to sleeping with, with me. So she, uh, she does this, he goes in, she then takes a pledge of him because he's got nothing to pay. So she says, well, I'll take your signet and stuff and stuff. And then this Tamar, she, uh, you know, she, she goes away and then Judah finds out that she's pregnant. Now, by the way, during this, she's been, had her face covered, so he doesn't know that it's Tamar. So Judah ends up... Um, saying what what this this wicked woman who was obviously of of um you know her his his son's widow says right i'm gonna i'm gonna um uh, uh, we're gonna burn her i think he says we're gonna burn her for for playing the whore well what happens is um is she then says well look by this by whoever this ring and staff is 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 you know the the uh, man whom whom i'm pregnant by and it turns out to be judah he says oh no i've been rumbled and she ends up, from all of this, giving birth to Pharis and Zara, yeah? Who end up being in this kingly line that we're seeing to Joseph, who was, as, was supposed to be Father Jesus Christ. So absolutely crazy, isn't it? Now, turn to Ruth chapter 4, because, it, it, you know, it's not just that, well, okay, you know, these things happen. There actually seems to be a bit of a blessing involved when they talk about Fairies and Zara of Tamar, at least fairies. And what this story does, and with the others that we see in, in, you know, as we go through it, is it just goes to show that, you know, God can still use imperfect people in, and very imperfect situations. I mean, utterly scandalous situations, the sort of situations, like we said, that would make Jeremy Carr have even more viewers on a lazy daytime viewing. And, um, and, Look, it, it, he can use those situations ultimately for, for, you know, for his will to be done. Right. Now, in Ruth 4, Boaz is announcing his impending marriage to Ruth and the people are blessing them. Ruth chapter 4 and verse 11. And it reads, And all the people that were in the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and like Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata and be famous in Bethlehem. And let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh, whom Tamar bare unto Judah of the seed which the Lord shall give thee of this young woman. So Pharaoh, who was born from this messed up chain of events, is a house or family line that is aspired to be like. And it's basically because I think you know, Ezron or Hezron's line continues to nation that was prince of the children of Judah. And, and when you look at it, he was basically head of the tribe of Judah, which had an army of 186,400, we see at that time. So they went on to some pretty great things. And this came from this absolutely wicked situation. And, and yeah, you, you know, there they're saying, look, let your house be like the house of Pharez. And it's not because of where he came from. It's just due to basically the success and the prosperity that came from them and and that was through i think aram or ram we see then a, a aminadab uh, to nation go back sorry that's where we are in matthew 1 um, and it says in matthew 1 and verse 4 and aram which is in the hebrew ram begat aminadab and aminadab begat nation and nation begat salmon so that's that nation that we're talking about on i think it's known as nation in the in the um in the Hebrew, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, that's Boaz, and that's talking about Rahab the harlot, so again we've got another harlot now in the, in, the, in the kingly line, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, now, so we've got Rahab, 
if if anyone knows the story of Rahab the harlot from Jericho, you've got you've got Ruth who was a Moabitess, who were you know basically a very wicked nation. And again, these are ladies clearly mentioned here. Okay, and they're not. You know, he didn't have to mention these ladies, did he? He could have just gone through the genealogy, but he's clearly making a point of these bizarre, basically, circumstances and, at the least, just people that would have been massively frowned upon. And, look, it's, it, this is, you know, this is a line to, well, at least a line to Joseph here. We have this Moabitess in Ruth, and it's in the line to David and ultimately to Christ, and that's also the line to Mary, by the way, in Luke 3. So even to the actual human, sort of the 100% human part of Christ, even though he is also 100% God. And yeah, she's David's great-grandmother. Great, David's great-grandmother was, was, uh, was Ruth. We have Rahab here, which is Rahab the harlot. And then it goes on to say, Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon further, had been the wife of Urias. So straight into more scandal. And it's funny, isn't it? Because you can read through this, this Gospel of Matthew, just reading these, yeah, 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 of that one, of that one, and you're just kind of skimming through, all right, come on, let's get on to some more important things. But when you really look at it and look down at it, God's making this clear point of these, what is it, four ladies there, isn't it? Four ladies in that line who, look, I mean, these are scandals. Yeah. Where it says here, of her that had been the wife of Urias. So basically, he, he didn't even say a name now, but we're talking about Bathsheba. And we're talking about Bathsheba that King David looked upon. And I was saying this, I was talking about this with someone the other day. I was saying, look, for me, Bathsheba, I don't see her as just this poor woman that just happened to be, oh, well, the King David called her over to his house. No, she was bathing in view of his rooftop. She then gets, she's a married woman. She then gets summoned to his house and she would have been well within her rights to say, no, thank you. She would have been well within her rights to say, no, there's no, no suggestion that he forced her either. And she willingly committed adultery while her husband was on the battlefield. Yeah. And look, I mean, that, there's a lot of wickedness there, isn't there? Yeah. But, but she's in the kingly line, isn't she? Yeah. She's in the kingly line. And look, there's a lot of scandal there, isn't there? There's a lot of scandal there. And Solomon, ultimately, okay, I know that the first child died, but Solomon was, was born from what started as an adulterous relationship. He also pictures Christ at some points. Well, and of course, you know, Jesus Christ is 100% pure. I'm not saying he's not. But what we are seeing there, I believe, is a clear point in this genealogy that, look, it doesn't matter what your background is. Yeah, it doesn't matter what happened before you came to Christ. It doesn't matter what, you know, what sort of, oh, well, this is just the way I am. This is the way I was raised. Well, I'm just a sinful person. Look, God can still use you. Yeah, yeah and, and look, there's no excuse. It's not saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just, this is who I am, God. Look, God wants us to try. God wants us to try and live right. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that, look, if, you, if you're saved, you can do great things for God. Amen. And, it, and yeah. it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been before. God can still use you. And, and here, God uses people to eventually at least show that kingly line to, to Joseph, who was supposed to be the father of Jesus Christ, at least gave that credibility through what was considered to be that human line. And, and also these people, I mean, the ones we've just seen earlier until Bathsheba were in the line to David as well. And amazing, really, isn't it? Amazing when you see that. So you've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, all mentioned in this line. And then after that, we see a continuation of the kingly line. So we see it says in verse 7, Solomon begat Roboam, that's Rehoboam from the Hebrew, and Roboam begat Abia, and that's Abijam, and Abia begat Asa, and Asa begat Josaphat, that's Jehoshaphat, and Josaphat begat Joram, also known as Jehoram, and Joram begat Ozias. Now, here's an interesting point in this genealogy. It's just missed out. Ahaziah... Joash and Amaziah. And again, that's something when I've read through this many times, I haven't noticed that at all. Yeah, just read through, because unless you just have off, in your mind exactly which king came after which king, it's jumped basically from Joram to Ozias, which is Azariah. Okay, it's just missed out three kings there. Why? Why are those three kings missed out? Because it seems to just be this clear. Is it because the Bible made a mistake? 
Is it, was there some sort of error there? Okay, there are no errors in the King James Bible. Amen. Not one Amen. error. And people will try and suggest it's an error. We'll turn to 2 Kings 8, where we see that Jehoram, or Joram, married the daughter of the wicked King Ahab. Right. So he, he married the daughter of the wicked King Ahab, who was the king of Israel at the time. It says here in 2 Kings 8 and verse 16. So 2 Kings 8, 16. And in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat being then king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, began to reign. Thirty and two years old was he when he began to reign. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, as did the house of Ahab, for the daughter of Ahab was his wife. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, her name is Athaliah, and she is basically as wicked as Ahab and her mother Jezebel. Okay, this is a really wicked woman, um, and we're not going to go into what she does. And you might be thinking, well, there are many wicked men and women. You've just said that God can use anyone, can't he? in scripture so so why did he remove them why did he remove these these three kings well go over to chapter 9 where the word of the lord is given to jehu so second kings chapter 9 and from verse 4 it says second kings 9 4 so the young man even a young man the prophet went to ramoth gilead and when he came behold the captains of the host were sitting and he said i have an errand to thee o captain and jehu said unto which all of all of us sorry unto which of all us and he said to thee, O captain. And he arose and went into the house, and he poured the oil on his head, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I have anointed thee king over the people of the Lord, even over Israel. And thou shalt smite the house of Ahab thy master, that I may avenge the blood of my servants and prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. And I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. And the dogs shall eat Jezebel in the portion of Jezreel, and there shall be none to bury her. And he opened the door and fled. So Ahab's house is to be cut off, yeah? You see that there? Turn over to chapter 10, where Jehu is told that his family will then reign in Israel. Okay, so we just saw there in verse 8, the whole house of Ahab shall perish, I'll cut off from Ahab him that pisseth against the wall, and him that is shut up and left in Israel. Then 2 Kings 10 and verse 30, it says, And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And it seems that whilst blessing Jehu until the fourth generation, the children of Ahab were cursed until the fourth generation. The first being his daughter Athaliah that we just spoke about, and then followed by Ahaziah, Joash, and Amaziah. And these are the three that are then excluded from the line. Which also lines up with Exodus 20 verse 5, which says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, talking about um, idols there, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And that, for me, is why the four generations from evil Ahab are cut out of the kingly line. Okay, And that's, that's why that's there. That's why they're cut out. They're just completely removed out of it. And it goes on to say, And Isaiah begat Joatham, back to where we are in Matthew 1, verse, verse 9, and Isaiah begat jo Joatham, and Joatham begat Achaz, and Achaz begat, begat Ezekiel. Now, that's Azariah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah there. Continues, and Ezekiel, or Hezekiah, begat Manasseh, and Manasseh begat Amon, and Amon begat Josias, which is Josiah. And Josias begat Jeconias and his brethren about the time they were carried away to Babylon. Now, these are all kings that you'll recognize the names of, kings of Judah there. And like I said, they cut out those three. Um, or oh, sorry, he cut out those three out of this line. They, in his, I think in his eyes, they just didn't really count because of that. They were cut out of this kingly line. Now, it then says, And Josias begat Jeconias, that's where we were in verse 11, and his brethren, about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And again, I don't know if you've noticed this, but here we have another name omitted. Turn to 2 Kings 23, because in between Josiah and Jeconia is Josiah's son, Jehoiakim. Well, where's Jehoiakim? Why is he not mentioned? 2 Kings 23 and from verse 30. 
2nd Kings chapter 23 and from verse 30 Josiah's just died and it says and his servants carried him and remember I said in between Josiah and Jeconiah is Josiah's son Jehoiakim okay that's the one omitted so Josiah's just died and his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own sepulchre and the people of the land took Jehoahaz the son of Josiah and anointed him okay and made him king in his father's stead Jehoahaz was 23 years old when he began to reign. He reigned three months in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father had done, his father had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bands at Ribla in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and put the land to a tribute of an hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And Pharaoh Necho made Eliakim, the son of Josiah, king in the room of Josiah, his father, and turned his name to Jehoiakim, and took Jehoahaz away and came to Egypt. And he came to Egypt and died there. Now, Jehoahaz obviously doesn't have any lying coming from him, okay? So this was sort of like a short stint. He gets taken away. Now, Pharaoh Necho has made Eliakim... It, the, uh, king, basically, in the room of Josiah's father, and turned his name to Jehoiakim. So why is he not mentioned? So Jehoahaz is, you know, he's in prison, he's died. He ordains his next son as king, but that's not how it works, is it? Okay? Pharaoh, the, the Pharaoh of Egypt doesn't get to decide who's king of God's nation, yeah? He doesn't get to decide who's king of Judah. Neither, by the way, does the king of Babylon that made then Mataniah king and turned his name to Zedekiah. And again, omit it. God does it his way, doesn't he? Okay, and this is, again, this is two cases where these two people, these two men, the, the world tried to make, they tried to decide who was king of Judah. Discounted. Okay, not there at all. Not mentioned at all. And, you know, when I, look, when I was looking at this, it made me think of the world's way of trying to inf influence who God ordains in his churches as well. Because throughout history, the world has tried to tell us how and who God should make you know, leaders, whether they want to call them priests, vicars, pastors, bishops, you name it. Because you can go to university and study theology for years or go to a Bible college or whatever the virgin is and the world, as far as they're concerned, you're now qualified to lead a church, aren't you? You're qualified to lead God's people. The world has decided who's qualified. The world's decided... Who, who, who should be there based on what standards they give. And people believe that out there. Believe me, people believe that. Because, I, you know, just talking to people in the world about what we do here and what I've been training to do here and yeah, what about, have you got a degree in theology? Have you not been to the world's universities? Have you not been to some sort of world, basically, at least, at least modelled on, on the world's university's Bible college or something like that? And, and people think that, don't they? But God has set his own set of qualifications, hasn't he? Right, yeah, yeah, God has his qualifications. That's what we care about here, don't we? Yeah, yeah. I was saying this the other day. Turn to 1 Timothy 3. I was saying this the other day where, you know, with believers like us who believe the word of God, we're a little bit more wary and suspicious of someone that has been to university, haven't we? Or someone that has <laughs> been to a Bible college. For us, uh, whoa, wait a second. Well, because we believe what the word of God says. 1 Timothy 3, where God lays out the clear qualifications for a bishop. And no, we're not talking about some queer priest with a different coloured dress or a funny hat that's different to the other priest hats, yeah, like some of these institutions call a bishop. Well, a bishop is basically when in... We're talking about the Bible here, not talking about our, you know, so-called version of Christianity in the world. A bishop is just used interchangeably with elder, used interchangeably... Um, with the word elder, which we, we use the word pastor. It, it basically means overseer, ruler, director, something like that. Um, 1 Timothy 3, from verse 1 says, This is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife, vigilant, sober of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach. So basically, like I'm saying, that the world has its own idea and the world tries to instil who should lead a church, yeah? or at least what they call a church. But single men going to Bible college, how does that line up with scripture at all? Doing theology degrees or anything similar to train as a pastor or whatever version, it's absolutely ridiculous. Because they, they, they're missing 
the first part of it, I mean, we talk about verse 2. In the qualifications, the husband of one wife. Yeah. And they're going there. Somehow, apparently, they're already being earmarked or they're earmarking themselves a lot of the time for some sort of role in the church and they don't even meet the first qualification. And then they, they, a lot of the time they're going there because it's some sort of dating ground a lot of the time. So they, they all go there. The ladies go there to study to play the piano or something. Yeah, if it's like someone, at least if it's one that's claiming to be like Bible-based and isn't trying to train them for the ministry, at least in, in terms of, you know, some sort of position of authority in a church. But at least they'll train them for some sort of children's ministry or something else. Again, completely unbiblical. And they're going there and it's just some sort of dating hookup place. Absolutely bizarre, isn't it? But it is ridiculous. But again, because it's modelled on the world, isn't it? Because it's modelled on the world. It's a world trying to tell you what you need to do. You need to do some sort of higher education because that's the world, world's way, isn't it? That's the world's way of qualifying and people believe that. And sadly, how sad is it when Christianity, and, and there are Bible-believing Christians that try and follow the world's way. What about divorced men? The Bible says the husband of one wife. Divorced men, second wives, whatever else, disqualified. Look, we're not trying to say they're, they're, you know, they're, they're worse people than the people that are. We're just trying to say they're, they're not qualified to lead a church. Yeah, they're not qualified. Right. But again, how many are there out there? Guys on their third wives. Fourth wives. And let's be honest, once it goes to second wife, the chance of it ending is a lot higher straight away. Third wife, it goes even higher. And, and these guys, are, they're completely, they're unqualified. Yeah. They're unqualified. But the world says it's all right, doesn't it? Because the world says divorce is all right. Why do they need to be vigilant? Because it says here, the husband of one wife, vigilant. Because church isn't just a fluffy place where everyone meets up and tells everyone how lovely they are. Yeah, because it's a battleground. And I say this many times, but it is. It's a battleground. It's a spiritual battleground. And, and someone, you know, a pastor has to be vigilant. Yeah, and wow, when you start, when you start talking to pastors, and obviously I talk to our pastor Thompson a lot, Wow, like they just see things. They see things from thousands of miles away. They see problems, they see issues, they're vigilant to things that, that you know, most people don't have a clue about. It's amazing. It's amazing, but they need to be that. And I, I believe that God starts blessing with that as well, but they need to be vigilant and they need to have an idea of that because it isn't. It's not just, you know, backstabbing and everything else. And, you know, I, I don't want to just keep going on about this because, look, you know, it's just... Uh, because, because most people are new to a real church... And they are. They're new to a real church. Okay, there's, you know, some of us have been at churches we were hoping might just about qualify as a real church. They're new to a real church doing things for God and going out and getting people saved. And look, and unfortunately, the church then becomes a battleground. That's why someone has to be vigilant. That's why they have to be sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Look, all these things are, are the clear qualifications, aren't they? It's why God's way, yeah, God's qualifications are essential, aren't they? Because it is a battleground, because it is, it's such an important role, it's such an important job. And it's not for Pharaoh Nico or for Nebuchadnezzar to decide who's going to lead God's people, is it? And look, that goes for, for you know, that goes for churches, obviously, as well. It's not just, you know, and, and we're not, I'm not trying to say that someone leading a church like this is like the king of, king of Judah. But look, it also goes for the structure of a church. So I've been dealing a lot with the charity, or at least going, you know, trying to inquire and trying to work out how we, can, how we could have set this up to, to comply with the charity commission. The government here wants to force basically all charities to register with the charity commission. It used to be only over a certain income, yeah. Now it's basically over like five grand a year, yeah. So basically pretty much any charity has to register with the charity commission. But to register with the Charity Commission, the church structure can't be a, bi a biblical church structure. So basically, the way they, they, they set it out, and I, you know, I've been studying this, and it's really hard to just get some biblical advice, because you can imagine, you're basically going to false Christianity. And they're just confused. They're like, well, you, you just nominate some trustees. You just get the church to vote. You know, or something like that. Well, yeah, but that's not biblical. Right. Yeah. Amen. Well, you just get three, just find three trustees. What should we find three? That's three. They don't have any say on the church. That's not God's right. way. God doesn't go, oh, just pick three guys and just go right now. You have like 
equal say on, on the church's policies, on, on the church's direction. And it's nuts, isn't it? Because yeah, that's, right. that's not how God, God does it. There's a chain of command, isn't there? Yeah. 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 So what do you do? Because, you know, and, I, and for me, it was hard. It was, you know, I'm looking, I'm, I don't want to go against God, but I don't, I don't want to then like, it feels a bit dishonest to just have like sort of nominal trustees, but, you know, but they don't get a say on anything, but we're pretending they do. Because again, it's, then it's just a bit dishonest, isn't it? So you, you're a bit stuck, aren't you? So basically what we are, we're, we're going to be a not-for-profit company. So no gift aid, yeah? And, and that means that we can't get back the tax that people have paid on the things. But who cares about money? You can't, you, you, you can't just, just go against God's biblical structure to then get some extra tax breaks and to then be, be monitored by a charity commission. And, and really... Really, eventually, there's no, you know, that, that separation from church and state will just get, oh, well, you only, you know, you just have to be part of the charity. Well, what's the charity commission? It's a, it's a government institution, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a government institution. And what, what will come out? What will come out from that next? Next, it'll be, well, part now, we've got a new rule. If you're part of the charity commission, there can be absolutely no discrimination in any of our charities, yeah? Now you're part of the Charity Commission. Uh, leaders of the Charity Commission have to qualify when it comes to churches. They have to have the necessary qualifications in some sort of Bible college or university. That, you can see it, can't you? Yeah. yeah? You can see them, right, we have to have, whenever you get someone in a job, if this grows and we end up having people doing other jobs and stuff, you have to advertise it out and you have to give fair, you have to give <laughs> fair and equal opportunity to all the perverts, to all the sickos out there, to, to, quali you know, to at least apply. Can you imagine? Got to sit down. Why do you think you're qualified to be a deacon? Well, you, know, <laughs> you, can, you can imagine it, can't you? It's, not, it's coming to a town near you soon, isn't it? It's that we're not far off that. But, but again, what is it really? Really, it's the world dictating, dictating how we should do things. And God doesn't put up with that. And God basically, they didn't even get, they weren't even mentioned in that kingly line, yeah, because the, girl, the, 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 the world cannot say that. And, you know, and, and like I say, with all this Bible college stuff, it doesn't matter how long you've been brainwashed by dispensationalism, how long you've been puffed up by going back to the Greek and all the other junk they do there. If you don't meet God's requirements, yeah, then look, maybe in years to come when you're up there in heaven, your impersonation of a church will also be forgotten, right? All these people out there, all these pop-up false churches, whether they're, you know, the ones that are saved, the ones that have just disregarded all of that, maybe God just looks down and just thinks, I ain't even a church. I ain't even counting you. At the least, is he even counting them when, he, when, when we're up there and we're talking about the great churches, the great churches of the 2020s? Sure, Foundation Baptist Church UK smashing it up in the UK. Yeah, we might talk about that, but is he going to talk in about Europe. that in Europe? Yeah, but is he going to talk about that church which the guy was like, yeah, well, I went to Bible college. I didn't have a wife, yeah. I didn't have anything on this list, but, 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 but I studied at Bible. The world said that I was qualified. Well, we had three trustees, yeah, who said I was qualified. We had the whole church vote. On, on, on things of God. So, you know, it was all right, wasn't it? No, I don't think so. Back to verse three there, where you are. It says, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. So hear that, yeah? Here there's a list of things here, because there was, there's the opposite now. So you also had... And, and this is something that, that many, I think, you know, uh, many pastors, some of us will have listened to, have talked about as well. You had the NIFB, newly saved Christian, wannabe pastor tick box. Yeah, the tick box was get wife, get kids, ready to be a pastor. <laughs> no, sorry, get wife, get kids, skim read the Bible 10 times. <laughs> Ready to have kids? <laughs> ready to have a, ready to get a church, right? Well, here I am, you know, and, and that's, that's, you know, that, that's, that's out there. Yeah, there are people that were out there like that. And, and the, the truth was, is that a lot of them, they had absolutely no idea, absolutely no idea what the job entails. They were just watching people like Pastor Anderson, Pastor Jimenez, shouting from behind a pulpit, thinking it looks fun. <laughs> I could shout about sodomites, I could shout about whatever else, but... Look, those men, 
you know, there's some work that those guys do, yeah, on a day-to-day -day basis, which you don't see, yeah. Well, look, there are people that then just disqualify the rest of this. Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy or filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. So if you're getting in fights all the time, you're greedy of money, you're impatient, you're flying off the handle every five minutes, well, you're not qualified, are you? Yeah, maybe you could work on those things, maybe you could get qualified, but look, it's not just having kids, okay? And many people just look at that, well, I haven't got, because there's so many false bastards out there that don't have kids. So people are just looking at it going, well, they don't even have kids, well, like, well I've got kids, I mean, I might as well be, look, I'm more qualified than him. Yeah, you might be, but you're still not qualified. Yeah, and, and look, the, these are there for a reason, aren't they? Yeah. All of these are there for a reason. They're important, not covetous, not covetous. <laughs> How important is that? Yes. In, in a position handling money, in a position where you're, where you're leading a church, in a position where, you, where, where, as we know, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, you've got a past that's covetous, because eventually it will come out, won't it? And whether or not they go into full-on thievery, or they're just always talking and always just coveting things and talking about whatever stuff, it, eventually it's going to rub off on others as well, isn't it? Yeah. Not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Isn't that clear, though? Yeah? His children, plural. It's so clear. And, of course, we see that as well in the Titus account as well of this. Titus, you know, again, goes through very similar um, qualifications for a bishop. Having his children, plural, in subjection with all Gravity, and I'll just say that because again, I was at a church, and the guy, you know, I, I, I was saying something about I can't remember. He's asked me about a church. I just said, "Oh, some friends of mine weren't really too keen because it seemed like the guy only had one one kid." What do you mean? I said, "Well, he wasn't qualified." You know, and again, this is my pastor. So then I'm thinking, "Oh man, it's another thing that we don't agree on." Okay, what's going to come now? He's like, "Well, you know, he, I mean, I'm just what you know by that. You know, I'm wondering, are you saying he's going? Are you saying that if there was someone who's just a really good preacher, you know, a young lad, just because he doesn't have kids, he he can't lead?" I said, "Well, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says children," and he was just like flabbergasted. How how could you believe what the Bible says? Basically. Yeah, having his children, plural. But it's not just having children, it's in subjection with all gravity. Mm. Now, yeah, he said one that ruleth well his own housing. And, and, and again, yeah, he needs, to, he needs to rule, for starters, because there are, sadly, again, I've been to churches, I've seen these guys, they don't seem to be able to rule anything. Mm. But it's not just rule, it's also rule well. Because then you've got the opposite, so I rule my house. I rule my house, everyone does exactly what I say. And I don't really rule it very well because everyone hates them. <laughs> They're just scared of them or something, you know? Look, you've got to rule well, yeah? You've got to rule well. Ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. And again, in subjection isn't sinless because then you've got, you've got the ones who don't give a damn about any of the false churches, or at least, no, not even false churches, they don't give a damn about the churches where these guys don't even seem to care about this sort of stuff. But... Man, they want to attack a pastor because his kids did something and got punished for it and didn't do it again. Oh, but, you know, that's disqualified him, isn't it? No, look, their children aren't going to be perfect, but they should be in subjection, yeah? They should be getting punished and they should be able to, to deal with being punished, yeah? Crazy, isn't it? For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how should he take care of the church of God? And look, that, that's, look, what training that is, isn't it? Look, having kids, having kids, you know... It is, is such an important training for, for ruling a proper church, a proper church. Not a novice that's being lifted up with pride, you fall into condemnation of the devil, and that puts to death the get saved, get to Bible college, doesn't it? Or get saved, get married, have a couple of young kids, right, off we go. You know, and, and sadly, so many, so many people are, are one of those two extremes. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Because there are those that are outside that are looking to criticise you for anything, aren't there? Okay, and, and that's talking about just obvious blatant sin there as well, and things which they can criticise you about, which aren't just the things of Jesus. They will criticise you for not having a theology degree from a university. So, look, God didn't recognise those kings of Judah ordained by the world. Okay, God didn't recognise that. 
his qualifications are what matter. And, and the reason I go into this and is just because obviously there's a lot of false teach out there. Obviously there's a lot of misconceptions out there as well. Uh, and people just, just can't, a lot of people can't get away from that. And obviously there are those here or maybe not here, but people that will watch in the future, people that come to our church that maybe one day might desire the office of a bishop. And if they do, then the f most important thing is to go through those qualifications, isn't it? And think, yeah, yeah is that for me? And also understand that that, those qualifications are for a reason because the job is is a massive massive job i mean look i'm not i'm not a pastor but but i've been doing a pastor's job here fortunately with the help and guidance of a pastor i have never done a job like it in my life there is nothing that compares so for anyone sitting there watching thinking oh yeah looks easy that just preach a few sermons have a bit of a shout <laughs> Nothing, I've never, I've done some hard jobs, yeah? I've been in hard situations, I've been in scary situations in my life, I've been in crazy situations in my life. Nothing compares to the day-to-day -day running and week, and, and only weekly running I've done up until today uh, in terms of solely weekly coming on a Sunday of a church, nothing like it. And it's not to get a violin out, look, it's a blessing, it's great to be close to God and to be able to do this job, but, but it, look, anyone who thinks, oh, I wouldn't mind that in the future, honestly, you need to really, really understand that it is a massive responsibility, it's a massive job, and it comes with massive pitfalls and sacrifices with it as well. And, and you know, and, and uh, that's why it has to be done God's way, because without God, without God's blessing on it, He's not going to recognise it, is he? And without God recognising you, you're in trouble. And by the way, on that note as well, um, that includes self-ordination. Okay, just for any of those that still have been tempted by that, you know, in the past. Well, just, just you know, make ourselves a church. Well, there's nothing that qualifies. We'll just be a church, right? Yeah, I'm going to be, uh, well, I have a house church. No, again, it's not God's way, yeah? And that includes people that just decide, like these, these uh, McPhail guys who've just decided to just... You know, well, well we, we, no, no, we've, we've worked out a bit better now. In fact, you don't actually have to be ordained. You don't have to be sent out because we're just going to self-ordain. Now, I would say, if you've been doing such a great work, surely someone would actually want to ordain you, wouldn't they? <laughs> when you can't find anyone to ordain you, barring, who's that clown um, out there that now recognises it? Fanning, is it? Yeah, barring people like that, who, who again, just wanted to self-ordain. Yeah, when you can't find anyone other than self-ordained people willing to ordain you, it's usually for good reason, isn't it? Yeah, there's usually a problem there, yeah? And, and self-ordained, pop-up churches, all that sort of junk, again, it's not God's way and it won't succeed in the long run, yeah? yeah? Okay, let's go back to where we were in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 12, where it reads, And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salathiel, and Salathiel begat Zorobabel. So now the line continues, but there's no more king in Judah. So you're going to look through these names and go, oh, do I know these? Look, no, there's not really an account of any of these people now. So, and Zeliad begat Eliezer, and Eliezer begat Mathan, and Mathan begat Jacob. And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So Joseph, as I said, as was supposed the father of Jesus, was from a line of kings, yeah? He's from a line of kings, which without the knowledge of the virgin birth would have qualified Jesus, at least in that line of kings, yeah? But of course it was a virgin birth, yeah? It was a virgin birth. Jesus was 100% God as well as being 100% man. But it's an interesting thing that Joseph was not only of the line of a line of kings, but I believe, I believe Joseph was a great man. Yeah, and when you look through and, and, you know, sometimes I thought about this recently, I just thought to have been entrusted, Joseph and Mary were chosen to basically raise the Lord Jesus Christ from a baby. And I believe that they were probably two of the best parents out there. Yeah. And I believe that that was, he was a great man. And we see in a minute that, that he needed to be a great man just for, the, for even to have worked at the beginning. And he came from a line of kings. And that's what, as well, you could look, well, you know, really, this is talking about Joseph, isn't it? That line is really talking about Joseph. Joseph is a, is a guy in this line. Um, and Joseph, I think, is, is a great guy and he's of a kingly line. It says in verse 17, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and so from David until the carrying away unto, into Babylon are 14 generations, and so from the carrying away into Babylon unto Christ are 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ is on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. So we see those 14 generations, like I said, but that's with those excluding of those, those three, and then also that other, that other in between, so four kind of generations there, but 
we've got these 14s, that sort of round, round number there, and then it comes to Jesus Christ there. Now, then it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ on this wise, when as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, this isn't an engagement, because there's a lot of false teaching out there that espoused, oh, well, they, they were just again. No, they were married. Amen. Okay, they were married. A spouse is married. They hadn't consummated the marriage. Okay, and I'm sure, you know, the adults here understand really what I'm saying. They hadn't consummated it. They were, they were married, but they hadn't come together. Okay, that's the point. Verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. What does put away mean? Okay, divorce. Okay, now he was willing, wait a second, doesn't the Bible say no divorce? Well, let's just have a quick look at Matthew 5. I know we've gone through this a bit recently. But Matthew 5 and from verse 31. Matthew 5, 31, Jesus speaking says, It hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give for a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced committeth adultery. Now, that cause of fornication is what this would have been had, it, had she not been with child of the Holy Ghost. So fornication, remember, is outside marriage. It's not saying, oh, well, it's okay with adultery. Look, in, in Old Testament law, she, she should have been killed for adultery, okay? Theoretically, had she committed adultery. But but here, putting away is saying that's a one time it's okay, was, was basically was finding out that she had been in fornication when he thought that she was marrying, that she was marrying, uh, sorry, that he was marrying a virgin, okay? That, that's the only time it's okay. So, okay, so we have, we have Joseph here being a just man because many men, back to where you are, Matthew 1.19, Many men would have made her a public example, wouldn't they? So wouldn't many men have just looked at that and just said, wow, like this is, you know, this, um, this lady, I can't believe she's done that. And they would have just, just let her have it, wouldn't they? And bearing in mind, bearing in mind what, what the consequences at least should have been had they not been under Roman rule and not been basically told that they couldn't, ins they couldn't carry out the death penalty. But can you imagine the social stigma? Because look, nowadays it might not be a big deal. And we look at this maybe through the lens of, of you know, 21st century Britain and just think, well, you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, oh, okay, so look like she'd been with someone else. Okay, yeah, you can see why he might want to break up with her. Look, that is a massive deal, yeah? That is scandalous. That, that was such a big deal that, like I said, had it not been under Roman rule and then being banned from putting anyone to death, she would have been up for being stoned. And I'm a bit unsure, anyone wants to talk to me afterwards, how that would have worked with her being with child. I'm not sure there, actually. But, but had she not been 100%, then she would have been liable to have been getting stoned to death. And look, Joseph was a just man. Yeah, that's what it says. It's not saying, well, Joseph was a bit weak. Joseph was a bit soft. Joseph, well, he was just, you know, a bit of a pushover. No, Joseph was a just man. And he didn't want to make a big example of her. He didn't want her to basically just be ostracised and be, you know, at least in, in everyone else's eyes, worthy of death. But instead, he, he was going to do it quietly. Yeah, privily, privately. He was going to put her away quietly. He was going to just do a quiet divorce. And, but, well, turn to Deuteronomy 22, because I just want to show you this quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 20, 22. And from verse 13 we're going to look. Because this explains, explains what really would have happened had it been under, under the law of God. 22, 13. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 13 says, <clears throat> If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her and give occasions of speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. Then shall the father of the damsel and the mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity unto the elders of the city and the gate. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife and he hateth her. 
And Lowy has given occasions of speech against her, saying, I found not thy daughter a maid, yet these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity. They shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And the elders of that city shall take that man and chastise him. They shall immerse him in a hundred shekels of silver and give them unto the father of the damsel, because he had brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. And she shall be his wife. He may not put her away all his days. But if this thing be true, and the tokens of virginity be not found for the damsel, so this is if basically, yeah, it's true, she has committed this act of fornication, then they shall bring out the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of her city shall stone her with stones that she die, because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house, so shalt thou put evil away from among you. That's a bit different to our wicked worldviews, isn't it? Yeah, that's talking about killing her to put that evil away from among you because it's, it's wicked, it is evil. It, it, it's such, that, that sort of sin just destroys families, destroys really the fabric of society, doesn't it? it and that, that's how God views it. God views it that they should be stoned to death. And you can see why, why, look, it was a big deal. It was a big deal that you can imagine. He's about to marry this, this young lady that he thinks is a virgin. That, sorry, he's married this young lady that he thinks is a virgin. They're about to come together and suddenly she's, she's found with child. She's pregnant. He must have been devastated, destroyed. He's probably just thinking, what on earth have I done? Like, you can imagine, like, what? What, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to raise this child? What, you know, she, he obviously loves her. He's thinking, I mean, how is she going to, how is she even trying to explain that? I don't even know what he'd do. Well, see what happens. Because verse 20, go back to where we were. Matthew chapter 1 and verse, verse 20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So by the way, it's Mary thy wife, yeah? It's not take her to be your wife, take unto thee Mary thy wife, yeah? Because they're already married. Okay, Joseph didn't rush into it, did he? Notice that. But while he thought on these things, he thought on these things, didn't he? And that's a great lesson for everyone here, isn't it? Yeah. Because sometimes, you know, a lot of us here, I think we'd be quick to try and deal with that situation, wouldn't we? Straight away, fuming, livid, just flying off the handle. Well, you have to turn to Ecclesiastes 5.2, says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth, therefore let thy words be few. And he obviously didn't utter anything hasty. He's thinking on these things, yeah? And there's nothing wrong with that, isn't there? Take your time to think on things. Some people always want answers straight away from people. Look, there's nothing wrong with saying, look, I need a bit of time to think about this. I need a little bit of time to dwell on this. Joseph did that, and thank God that he did. And that's why he was the right person for this as well, wasn't he? Because he didn't just fly off the handle. He didn't just leg it. He didn't just make a public example of her. Verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus meaning saviour. They must have had a spelling error there. They meant to put Yeshua, didn't they? <laughs> or Yahweh. Or whatever other rubbish these guys. Was it Yahashua? Is that another one? There is a Yahashua or so. Is that all of them? Anyone got any others? Weird combinations of Y's, H's and Sh sounds? No? Just to sound like, you know, you, you really know Jesus really well. I know I've got a special name for him. Is there any difference to the Jehovah's Witnesses? Oh, they've got a special name for God. Yeah, they've got their own special name, haven't they? But, well, at least the Jehovah's Witnesses have one of his correct names. Because these clowns, they're just coming out with it. They just make it up as they go along. Absolute, it's absolute nonsense. I oh, don't you just say that. Whenever you see any comments or like a YouTube video or something, you start seeing people talking about Yahweh and you, you're just like... So I unsaved. Because <laughs> let's be honest, like, it's very, like, man, you start calling him the wrong name and stuff because it's at the name of Jesus, every niche of power, isn't it? Amen. Absolutely ridiculous. But no, he, um, he, he said, and you, you, thou shalt call his name Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Now turn to Isaiah 7, but obviously keep a finger there, which is what is being quoted here for an interesting truth. 
And it's not a truth I don't think probably anyone here really needs to know, but it's still an interesting truth anyway that you see here. So Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. <clears throat> Isaiah 7, 14. We've just read, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Manuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Isaiah 7, 14 says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So notice how we've just read, a virgin shall be with child, and the Isaiah 7.14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Interchangeable. So conception is being with child, right? Yeah, pretty clear, isn't it? And I don't think we need to go to many other verses in the Bible. I think everyone here is a Bible-believing Christian and understands that, that life begins at conception. Yeah. So where he said... He said, a virgin shall be with child. He was quoting Isaiah 7.14, which said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive. Interchangeable. And again, what a crazy world we live in. We live in a crazy world where, I mean, do they, what even is the accepted time when they consider it to be alive? They consider that little baby to be alive. Because the Bible's clear here that they're with child at conception. Amen. Yeah, at conception. Mm. Now, I just, you know, it's something that, that, that obviously I've been thinking about a bit recently and, and something I just wanted to mention quickly as well because we here are all Bible-believing Christians, right? We all believe that life begins at conception, don't we? Okay, so therefore, if life begins at conception, when, when a, a lady has conceived, what does she have inside her womb? A child. Okay, a child. And obviously, yeah, we're not going to say it's exactly the same as having, you know, a, a, you know, getting to know a child, getting to know a baby as they get older and older. But that lady has a child inside her womb. And when a lady has a miscarriage, that is absolutely horrendous, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it horrendous? It's absolutely horrific. And look, something I've experienced and others here I know have experienced as well. And, and I don't think a lot of us really quite understand like what that really is. And I say that because we as Bible-believing Christians claim to, to acknowledge it and understand and yeah, it's life begins at conception. And we experienced it, obviously, as you know, very recently. And, and when I say we, majorly my wife, I'm not trying to compare myself to her. And I'll be honest, it was quite bizarre, the response we got from a lot of people that claim to be Bible-believing Christians. People that couldn't even acknowledge it. People that couldn't even say a word to her that she'd just lost her child. Like, what is that about? People, like, could not even say a thing. Like, how, like, how do you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian? Like, imagine, and again, I'm not saying it's the same, but imagine we'd lost our little boy, James. Like, you would imagine, I would imagine, I would be shocked if anyone here didn't just say, just, just some word, because you just, like, and it's not, it's not that we wanted sympathy. By the way, we wouldn't have even told anyone. The only reason we put it on the group is because she was in a really dangerous situation, and she basically had to be rushed off with the blue lights on because she, she rapidly lost blood pressure, she lost pints of blood. It was really serious. It was a 10-week-old child in terms of from conception. Okay, that's the reason that we ask for prayers, okay? Otherwise, look, at the time, we probably would have kept it more private, okay? At the time, we were really scared, waiting for the ambulance to come, Googling, wow, okay, this is extreme now, you know, what was going on? And look, I'm not saying everyone knew that, but with, without any of that, the fact that everyone knew, and it was just bizarre, and I'm not just saying the church, other people we know as well, just bizarre, the response. People literally just could not say a word. All the response you got were just like weird. Like people coming up to her and like just like, hey, how you doing? It's just like, what? Like, and, and look, if, if, if it, maybe it's just people just don't understand it. They claim to understand, yeah, life, yeah, because we're, we're Christians, yeah. Life begins, at we know that, yeah, you know, we hate abortion and everything else. And then they just say, yeah, well, it's just a miscarriage, isn't it? Just a miscarriage. Or maybe, maybe, they just literally just, just despise her so much they can't say that. Or maybe they just, just don't understand social norms. And maybe that's something that we need to teach from the pulpit more. It's just, just yeah. being, being, just having empathy. Like, and again, it doesn't, you don't have to be crying with her. You don't have to be like sending, just, just a word. Just like a sorry. So, you know, sorry to hear that. That's all it needs, isn't it? Yeah, and, and 
look, just something that we thought about and something, look, we, we, we know the truth, don't we? Yeah. yeah, we know the truth. But but then when it comes to the crunch, why is it that we, we can all be so cold and heartless about these things, can't we? And it is bizarre, bizarre. Like, we were just like, wow. Like, and I'm not, look, I'm not... Look, I'm not going to start like listing people because there are people that none of you even know. That we're just like, what? Like, and, and just nuts. Really odd. Really odd. And again, it's not because we wanted sympathy. It was just interesting. And obviously, for my wife, like that, that is a massive thing. And I, I have like I understand it a lot more now. I know other people that have gone through it. They mentioned it, and and I didn't understand it as much. And and look, it's a big deal. Okay, if you really believe, you really believe life begins at conception. It's a big deal. Okay, it's a big deal. Anyway, let's continue. Um, okay, and like I say, with that, like maybe it's just that people need to just, un- so maybe just some people haven't really been trained in just normal kind of just, just showing, like how you show a bit of sympathy for someone, just how you just kind of treat someone who's been through something. Maybe people just need a bit of practice with that. Maybe, maybe I need to kind of show you that a little bit more from, from behind the pulpit because it was bizarre, really bizarre. Okay, so, okay, then Joseph... <coughs> Where are we? Um, no, sorry. Where, where are we? So yeah, we've just had a look at um, we've just had a look at Isaiah seven fourteen. Okay, so back to Matthew. Yeah, what does what does Emmanuel mean? We've just seen it in in verse twenty three. There, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. So, first chapter of the New Testament, and what's Jesus just been called? God. First chapter of the New Testament. Yeah, God with us anything to be confused about there oh well it's just kind of like it just feels like god is with us no god with us yeah that's why he's called emmanuel because he's god yeah and again like sometimes you know sometimes you get these obviously you get the muslims don't you they love it don't they where does it where did he well it says it in the first chapter of the bible yeah of the new testament it says god with us yeah that's what he's called emmanuel Okay, verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Okay, now this was hard for Joseph, wasn't it? Okay, regardless of God's angel commanding him, like I said, imagine the stigma as well. Because you could think, oh, well, well, he got, he got commanded though, so that's all right, isn't it? You know, you, you, we all just do what God commands us, don't we? Yeah, we do. Don't we? <laughs> Everyone here does what God commands him, doesn't he? Yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, and especially when it comes to something like that, because it would have been so easy to have just gone, yeah, I'm going the other direction, because that, that would have been hard for him, wouldn't it? It would have been really hard for him. The whole situation, and what's more, you know, he, he's, he's being told this sort of stuff as well that must have scared him, just, just everything, like the responsibility, like I said, you know, I was just talking about the responsibility of pastoring. Imagine... Imagine this, it should be with a child and it's God with us. You're just thinking, what on earth? What has happened? And look, but he did it, didn't he? But how many men, how many men do ignore God's commandments when it comes to their wives? And I think for him, he had a lot of a harder commandment here. We're just told to love our wives, aren't we? Husbands, love your wives. And how many men seem to find that impossible? Seem to find that so hard to just follow a simple commandment to just love your wife, Yeah. And it's something that, that, you know, we were talking about this recently, just saying it's so simple, isn't it? It's so simple. Yet how often do we just start complicating it? Just love him. Love your wife. Love your wife. And look, he, fortunately, Joseph did do as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and he took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So he knew her not until, okay, <laughs> until... It's pretty clear, isn't it? Until, turn to Matthew 13, and, and again, I'm preaching to the choir, but no, Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin, okay? Absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? Unbiblical, pagan, mother goddess nonsense, yeah? Absolute nonsense. Matthew 13, and from verse 54, says, Matthew 13, 54, and when he was come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue, insomuch that they were astonished and said, whence hath this man this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not, this, is not his mother called Mary? And his brethren, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, he's talking about his brothers, and his sisters, are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man 
all these things? Pretty obvious, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I don't know how they, and they definitely weren't immaculate conceptions, okay? This was because he knew her not until, okay? <coughs> Pretty standard, isn't it? But unfortunately, seems to be lost on the Roman Catholics, but then they don't really seem to think much of the Bible anyway, more what the guy in the dress in Rome says. Um, back, to, back to Matthew 125. And you are not till she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name? Jesus. Not Yehoshua. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> okay. On that, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I, th I thank you for, uh, for a great chapter of the Bible, for the opening of the New Testament, and I hope that I preached it, um, preached it clearly and accurately today, and I, I hope that you'll help us to apply some of what we've just seen and spoken about to our lives, and I, I pray that you just help us to to just, um, you know, to, to think about these, these verses, think about some of these truths, the truths of, of the people that you used in your, you know, in that genealogy through to Joseph and, um, and just what, that we can all, you know, no matter of our failings, no matter of our lackings, we can all do things for you. And uh, we pray that, that, you know, that you help us to, to all just put that into action, put that into practice this week, to want to grow, to want to, to want to, serve you more to want to do more things for you and 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 for us all to get home safely and also to return safely on sunday for for another day in your house in jesus name we pray all of this amen, amen. amen.